from Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Here in the expensive capital where the first Gen Z congressman, Maxwell Frost of Florida, struggles to rent an apartment, the formerly incarcerated are in worse shape, with no possibility of housing or employment. The most discriminated person in this world is a black man. That's right. But even more discriminated than a black man is a black man with no job. Come on. And more discriminated than a black man with no job is a black man with no job and an ex-offender. We can't even help our own family. We can't even give them and be the man that we need to be. The system that will criminalize you and your children because of something they believe that you did by not allowing you to have a place to live is a system that needs to be shut down. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. For this hour, we hear voices from the Emergency Rally for Returning Citizens, held December 19th, 2022, in front of the Wilson Building, which houses D.C.'s executive and legislative government offices. We first hear from the Reverend Willie Wilson and returning citizens Carmen Johnson and Tyrone Parker, both of whom have directed organizations in the D.C. area to assist the formerly incarcerated and curb community violence. If you look at the Capitol in the White House, built by free labor, by slaves who brought the stones from the quarry out of Virginia, and then Philip Reed put that dome on top. Then when they outlawed slavery with the 13th Amendment, that 13th Amendment said, except for committing a crime, which opened the door to continue enslaving black men in order to build this country. So then they went from that to the black code. The black codes were so vicious, they did that for about three years. They said, no, you can't do that no more. Then they went from black codes to 90 years of sharecropping. From 1865 to 90 years later. Then they went from sharecropping to criminal leasing. From uh, 1928 to 1955, another 104 years. That was so wicked that in 1941, they established the Federal Bureau of Prisons. They established the Federal Bureau of Prisons. They said, this is so wicked. What we are doing to black men and to enslave people by using crime to enslave them, that we have to make it a little easier. But so the criminal leasing, this is how U.S. Steel and American Steel and all those companies were built. They were built with free labor of black men who, for any reason, locked up for standing on the corner. Locked up for not standing on the corner. Locked up for having money in your pocket. Locked up for not having money in your pocket. For any reason, they were incarcerated. So we're talking about the entire history of this country. So we look now at the Federal Bureau of Prisons. 45% of the pay that's made to pay people's houses, made in federal prisons. Computers and phones, made in federal prisons. License plates, made in federal prisons. Parts for computers, made in federal prisons. And the list goes on and on. Furniture for office buildings, made in federal prisons. All of this being done with free labor. And so it's not just a need. It's something that is old to all who have been incarcerated for all these numbers of years, who have given slave labor and then come back out in the community and try to reestablish themselves and don't even have a roof under which to lay down and to have the common amenities that every citizen of this country should have. So we say today, not just because of the need, but because every one of these men standing behind me and out here today are, are old because of the slave labor that they have given to this country that built this country and made it what it is today. Now we're going to have a young lady who has quite a history. 
she is one of us too. Man, she got a powerful message. It's Thomas Johnson. Peace, everybody. Love, everybody. And I'm saying now, see, there's many women out here to, to help support. And what I want to say today is not only do we need housing as impacted people, we need love. I'm sick of going to organizations that's supposed to represent us. They sterile at us. They look down on us. And that's not fair. And that's not true. Because you don't know your story, your story, my story. You don't know that. And so for us to be enslaved, whether it's one year, ten years, twenty years, and to come home to have nothing, disgusting. I couldn't even get my SSDI that I worked for years on because I am considered as a felon. I could not get housing. They wanted to get put me in a transitional house. Well, hell, I was with women for three years. I didn't want to be in a transitional house. Thank God I had my family to support me. Thank God I have my community, which is you guys, to support me. We have to support one another. That's right. We have to stay together. It should be more of us out here. Uh-huh. Right. What I see today, That's we are standing right. here fighting for all of us right. that have been through this system, this disgusting system. Yeah. And let's not let you not mention the innocent people that are behind the wall. Yeah. Whether we did it or not, we have an experience. Right. We have suffered right. behind that wall. They say, "Oh, Britney is in over in." Russia in a jail. Has anyone seen an American jail? What that looks like? What they take us through. We suffer in there. In the women jails, we are sexually abused. We are physically abused. Don't nobody talk about that. They expect us to come home and be mothers. They expect us to come home and be wives. They expect us to come home and want to be touched. I didn't want to be touched when I came home. I wanted help. I kept asking for help. No one knew what to do with me. Oh, she's a doctor. Oh, she's a this. They didn't know what to do with me. First of all, the government threw me in jail innocently. You know what you did to me. I will never forget it, but I forgive you. In the same token, you are going to take care of me and my people that are behind the wall, my people that are coming home, my people that are fighting to not go behind the wall. Some need to change. Things to change now. Mental health is real. And we are beaten down. Our integrity is taken. We are up and yeah. no one cares. You expect us to go and get a job soon as you get out. We don't even know what to do. We've been in jail and technology to change. I didn't even know what Doc was. I didn't know what Uber was. I was only gone for three years. And I suffered. And I thank the universe for the strength yeah. and my brothers and sisters yeah, that you have right. spent three that's years. 15 years, that's 30 that's years. That's you. I salute every last one of you because I know what it feels like to be a slave. I know what it feels like to be shackled from my ankles to my waist. I know what it feels like to be beat down by white racist guards. I didn't ask to go to jail. I didn't ask to be beat. I didn't ask for any of that. I asked for love. Do anybody ask me, how do I feel? No. They just look at me, oh, you're a doctor. No, I'm suffering. Mental health is real. I am suffering. My people, my community are returning citizens. We are suffering. Peace, love, and unity.
to begin to love each other. We got to begin to understand the challenges that we've been confronted with as a whole. If it takes for us to come back, there should be signatures. There should be this congressperson, the city council. There should be the mayor. There should be individuals that would come out and be able to say, I will meet your needs. Because we are here at this point. They are not here. And they are not here because they don't see the numbers and the impact of who we are. Right. When the District of Columbia was considered to be the murder capital of the USA, when a number of returning citizens got together and began to go into our communities to make a difference, we were able to bring our numbers down from 484 homicides in the year 1991 to 88 in 2012. We changed this place from the murder capital of the USA to the eighth best place in the world, in the country to live in. We brought in billions of dollars in tax revenue. The man got more than the man very had in the contents of tax revenue. Bird did more with the spirit of it. But we, the returning citizens, helped to transform this. We had the capabilities to be able to come together and be high. We are an institution that has value. Nobody can do the work like we can in our communities. We come with a redemption spirit to be able to help our people. We need to be heard. That's right. We need jobs. We need the dignity that we have earned. That's right. We have earned this, you all. That's right. As I look around, I see the spirit of all who have did time. And we got some white folks out here. Tara, who runs Free Minds. That is a, one of the greatest commitments that is in this city. One of they are in 65 different prisons around this country, writing to the young brothers, reading to the young brothers. They show up. How many are here for free man? Let me see your spirit. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the spirit of this. So I end in mind, and I say this. To God be the glory, that we will make a transformation we would love each other. We would understand the power of our tongues because we know there's three laws. The law of Newton, what goes up must come down. The law of gravity, where every action there's a reaction. And the law of black folks, when go around, come around. We will watch the power of our tongues. Thank you so much for That was community organizer Tyrone Parker speaking on December 19, 2022 at a rally in D.C. for affordable housing and jobs for the formerly incarcerated. According to the National Alliance to End Homelessness, one in five people returning from prison becomes homeless on re-entering the community. And this estimate may be as high as 50 percent in major urban areas like D.C., Other researchers have reported a correlation between homelessness and recidivism. Up next, the Reverend Graylin Hagler, D.C. Council member Robert White, Roach Brown, a key organizer for this rally and a Pacifica radio producer, Calvin Hawkins, a county councilman in Prince George's County, Maryland, and Tony Lords, an advocate for the incarcerated. This is On the Ground. I'm Esther Averam. Stay with us. It says somewhere in the scripture, it says when I was in prison, 
you visited me. And they said, well, when did we do that? And he said, if you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And the fact is, that's a measurement of the care or the lack of care of a society. If a society doesn't provide housing as a right, if a society doesn't supply education as a right, if a society doesn't supply health care as a right, then it's no society at all. In fact, it's a criminal enterprise that tries to exclude people who need to be included. Now, you know, all of us, most of us, got family members who've been incarcerated. When I was born, my daddy was in the Jessup's House of Correction. And I remember about seven years old when he came home. If it wasn't for my mother, he would have had no place to go. He ended up finally getting a job in a strip club on the block in Baltimore. And that's where I used to go after school to sleep down there in the storeroom because he needed a job. But what I'm saying is that incarceration has affected our community. And therefore, we need to push for the solutions so that people can be fully restored. And what does it mean to be fully restored? you got to have a place to live. What does it mean to be fully restored? you got to have training and decent and adequate employment. What does it mean to be restored? you got to have health care. What does it mean to be restored? you got to become part of the community, and the community has got to respect you. One thing that we realize is that since this issue of mass incarceration has been so pervasive in the black community. None of us are exempt from the issues that are before us. No family is exempt. No mother, no father, no sister, and no brother. And nobody should be on the streets. And nobody should be left alone. And nobody should be deserted because we stand as one community, one people fighting for dignity, rights, and justice. Thank you so much. That's been Reverend Graylin Hagler. He's been on strong support of our cause for years. The people we're bringing up are folks we've been doing this for 20, 30, 40, and yes, 50 years we've been doing this. And it's still the same issues. Right now, we're lucky enough to have City Councilman Robert White, who is fortunate to be working with us to make sure we work through all the snap views and bugs to bring you the show. So he's been supportive of our issues and, and one of our biggest champions in the City Council, Councilmember Robert White. Good morning. So a few years before I joined the, the council, uh, I was a young lawyer working on Capitol Hill for Congresswoman Norton, and uh, my brother was coming home from Petersburg. They allowed him to leave Hope Village, what we call Hopeless Village, uh, to stay with me. And we were heading to the uh, Safeway on Alabama one evening to get groceries, and I got into the car, my brother saw somebody new, and when he got to the car, I asked him, who was that? How do you know him? He said he was in Petersburg with me. I asked my brother, I said, oh, where's he staying? He said, at the shelter. Like, damn, you know, that, that hit my heart. And what I learned from that conversation was how prevalent that brother's story is. How many people leave incarceration in Washington, D.C., come back, go to the halfway house, or these days don't go to the halfway house, and end up in the shelter. Yeah, too many, way so, too many. Way too many. So when I got to the council, I knew I had an obligation to help folks, but I also know that I don't need to speak for folks or set an agenda for folks who know how to speak for and set an agenda for themselves. So I reached out to a community of uh, returned citizens and said, what, what are the first things we need to do? 
They said we need free IDs, we need free bus fare, we need to expand the mayor's office of returning citizens affairs. So we got to work doing that, listening to people. Then they said we want to be able to, we want brothers and sisters who are incarcerated to be able to vote. So we went out and did that. They said we need to be able to get jobs, so we help fund a program that allows returning citizens to go to Georgetown University to become paralegals. So we got that done, we got that funding done. All these ideas, I want to be clear, didn't come from me. These ideas came from people who have been incarcerated. So I'm only one piece of this. We've got to listen to people. When they say there's a problem with people coming out and not having housing, there's a problem with people coming back that want to work, that want to provide for their families and they can't find it, we have to listen long enough to know that there's a problem. But once we recognize that there's a problem, we've got to be working toward a solution. That's what we're here today for, working towards solutions. So we have some housing vouchers. We have some housing opportunities. We have some employment opportunities, but too little to meet the need. And we're finding too many people unnecessarily going back into incarceration, going into shelters and just falling flat when they didn't deserve to. So when folks say, look, we need help just getting a chance, our job is to help them get a chance. So Brother Roach, thank you for being the leader that you are. I promise you I'm going to keep doing my part. I'm going to keep listening. I'm going to keep acting. But we've got to address the lack of housing, the lack of jobs for incarcerated, formerly incarcerated people. And we've got to put our money where our mouth is as a city. The reason why we're here, we're not here protesting the mayor. We're here to highlight the problems or the lack of problems that we're not receiving services and programs for those men and women. And what Alan Leake said and a couple other folks, we're talking about economic development. We want some of the city contracts. We want to make sure we get 300 vouchers. We can can provide 1,000 affordable housing and 1,000 jobs. If 3,000, if we can get the right support from the the city council and the government. We need Amazon, Walmart, Lowe's, all of the big people. Wells Fargo committed two and a half billion dollars three years ago to improve the programs in Washington, D.C. Two and a half billion from Wells Fargo. And we haven't heard from Wells Fargo yet. We need the business community, the religious community, everybody to come. This is all hands. We're talking about saving lives. We can stop the killing and reduce the killing. We got all these men and women. These is our cavalry. We just don't have the horses or the resources. But we can come and reduce some of this problem. So we want to make sure that everybody knows that it's not a protest. We're talking about a rally to show that highlight what's not being done for our men and women in the streets. And now I'd like to bring up... Um, a council member from uh, PG County, Calvin Hawkins, and believe it, he is yeah, yeah. one of our returning citizens. Thank you, Roach, for this opportunity. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in Prince George's County, we had our swearing in of new council members, re-elected council members. And as the former chair of the council, I had an opportunity to speak, and I spoke about returning citizens and the importance of what we do. Today we're out here asking for empathy for what we're trying to do. But in two years, there's another election, not just here in the District of Columbia, but throughout this region. We come here to organize and speak on the concerns we have. But my friends, I share with you the most important thing you can do, Roach, is organize the people who are empathetic to what we are talking about because votes talk. And I'm going to end with this. I came over to the District of Columbia not to try to tell my good friend and brother, Robert White, what the county city council should be doing. But as a native Washingtonian, I'm here to say what you all do over here, Councilmember White, I'm going to continue to lead in Prince George's. And some of the concerns you all have, you will see in legislation that I'm putting forward. And I would love to see many of you come out there today. We have our bills. And Reverend Elwood Gray, thank you for all you did while I was in Lord to make me a better person. I appreciate you. Now we got a young man who's been championing the cause for some time. His name is Tony Lewis. His father has life without parole. And Tony will be fighting his cause, and this is one of the few relationships where you see the son and the father are that close. And even though he's been gone over 30 years, he's this close and tight with his father. He maintained that relationship. And as all of you know, it's hard 
to stay connected to your family. I got three sons and I don't get along with them. We ain't been able to patch up our things yet. And I'm still trying, but I got hope in my heart that one day, so all of you know that it's hard to reconnect with a family when you come out of prison. When you're gone 15, 20, 30 years, and when you hear Brother Coleman Bay, he did 45, 46 years, and his family is like this. He used the prison phone three, four times a week and did his kids' homework, study with them, deal with all their problems. He maintained a strong relationship. And one of the things we're asking, that all phone calls from all prisons and jails should be free. I don't care, it should be free. All phones, all contracts for prison phones is an, ex is an exclusivity. All the prisons give these companies the right to, to run the phone, and they get a kickback. And the kickback goes to the guards' unions. And they hire their sons and kids for bas baseball and softball teams. Our pain is somebody else's gain. We want a percentage of that $50 million that's made from prison phone calls should go into an inmate fund that we get a, a small loan, a, a micro loan or grant to come out of prison. You can't come out here for 30 years and ain't got a dime in your pocket until you obey the law. Damn the law. When you ain't got no money, it ain't no law. You dead. You broke. And then there's one something else. I had a woman when I was in, and she told me, she wrote me a letter and said, I started to send you $20, but I already sealed the envelope up. How'd she do that? <laughs> so now we bring on Tony Lewis. Come on here, Tony. Uh, first of all, I just want to say uh, it's an honor to be here, and uh, thanks to all the organizers uh, who put this together. So there's a couple of things I want to touch on, and I don't want to be redundant. There's a lot of great information that's being shared since I've been standing out here. So first of all, I want to speak to a statement put out by uh, our Attorney General, uh, Merrick Garland, uh, in relation to the, the crack versus powder cocaine disparity, right? Justice Department decided that they would now see powder cocaine and crack cocaine uh, in the same way. So we knew back in the day it was a hundred to one disparity. Fences and Act reduced that to eighteen to one disparity, and now the Justice Department is going to look at crack and powder cocaine as the same thing, right? Which I thought was an incredible thing, right? But it will not be retroactive, right? Yeah. Which means that help that really is like is pondering, right? Um, so for this administration, uh, in terms of uh, the Biden administration moving forward, you, know, you touch infrastructure, you touch uh, computer chips, you touch gun uh, control, you touch um, climate control, but you ran on righting the wrongs of the past, and your wrongs as it relates to mass incarceration, right? And uh, the, the pardon of the people that got marijuana uh, clemency thing and, and, and this, uh, it's really becoming like a slap in the face of the advocates and the families of people that's been impacted by the war on drugs. Um, and so I, my call, and I hope that you guys will support me in uh, pushing uh, for us to have a comprehensive clemency uh, uh, initiative rolled out by this administration that will help reunite American families like mine. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, uh, and then for Congress also, the Equal Act is what I think uh, we know was, was we trying to get through Congress to codify this one-to-one uh, -one ratio. So uh, hopefully that doesn't die with this Congress. Uh, and the reason why we're here, though, I heard everybody talking about jobs and jobs and jobs and jobs if, and housing, right? If we don't change policy, uh -huh. right, when, when men and women from our city pay their debt to society when they return, that they can have a clean slate, they can, they can have the same opportunities as everybody else, we have one of the most competitive job markets in this country. We also have the most arduous incarceration process in this country. You do your time away, you also release away. People are not being trained, people are not being, um, the interventions and the vocational supports are not there. We don't have any autonomy over that because our people do their time in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, right? So they're coming back not prepared, and they're coming back to... Um, and the D.C. government does an amazing job, right? We have to be honest about hiring returning citizens. But outside of the district government, our job market is completely adverse to returning citizens. Uh, we had an expungement and record selling bill that's being contemplated right now in this council, in this building right here. 
And so it's not just about us giving jobs, it's about us codifying the rights of returning citizens in law. Okay? So when we start talking about expungement and reconciling and people saying uh, uh, we, we, we're going to start with non-violent offenses. People in D.C. don't go to prison for non-violent offenses. <laughs> if you're a returning citizen, raise your hand right now. If you're a returning citizen, raise your hand. Now listen, if you got, if you only have a, raise your hand if you're a returning citizen. Okay? As a matter of fact, I'm going to say this. I don't, I don't even like returning citizens more. If you're a citizen, right, if you are a citizen that's been incarcerated, raise your hand. And put your hand down if you only have a non-violent offense. Put your hand down if you only have a non-violent offense. In this town, people have violent offenses. So proposing a bill that would expose non-violent offenses leaves us in the exact same position that we're in right now. And so for anybody to say we gotta take incremental steps or small steps, in, in, in town we wait for those steps to be taken, we die, we go back to prison, right? Mass incarceration in this city impacts the native black community like nothing else. It's akin to the violence we see, it's akin to the poor test scores we see, we the, it's akin to the mental health, akin to the homelessness, right? So we must attack that. We need policy change that allows people to expunge and seal records so that they can have an opportunity at the type of employment and business opportunity that will allow them to take care of themselves and their families, right? People should be able to live and work where they want. And in these cases, some people can't even live with family members based on something they may have done decades ago. And why this is not, why we don't be in an uproar about this as a city is because this stuff stays relegated primarily in the black community. 95, 96% of the people, and I want to be more specific, black people from Washington. So as a DC native, right? If you're a native, make some noise out here. It's our families that got to keep having funerals. It's our families yes, that got to keep chipping in. It's our families who have to keep on begging and pleading. Yes. Just for an opportunity, man, for us to survive and thrive while we watch everybody else do so well, right? I know I've been tired of it. I don't know how y'all feel. I've been tired of it. That's why every day I get up to attack this. But we got to be strategic in this. We got to call for things that are sustainable and long-lasting. Well, last thing I'm going to say before I take my seat. We start talking about what's happening with our elders that's coming home. And I think a lot about that. My father, he, he, he ain't quite a, a, a super elder, but he turned 60 years old this year. He went to prison when he was 26, though, right? I think about when he come home, if he comes home, what that means, right? Um, what it be here to, in terms of support for him? And it's, there are a lot of support for seniors in this city, though. Right? So, that, so like the director of the Office of Aging should be here. Right? Because there, there, are, there are opportunities and supports for seniors. Why wouldn't men and women that citizens that have been formally incarcerated not be given the same uh, uh, access to those opportunities? Some of the stuff that we're calling for, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. The wheel is here. We just got to tap into it. We got to familiarize ourselves with what's available, right, already, and we got to demand that returning citizens have access to that. And when we talk about our seniors, that's the kind of stuff I think about. Any senior program that's going on in this city, right, where it's support around housing, food insecurity, transportation, health care, any of that, because that exists. Why wouldn't returning citizens be eligible for that? And if somebody was to say because of something he did 50 years ago, then we got a bigger conversation to have. All right? Um, so I thank you for the time, Roach, or everybody uh, involved. Um, let's keep pushing, keep pushing together, man. DC or nothing. Love
We did 20-some years. He was in Cumberland. He got released January 25th. And his family called and told the prison, let us escort him back because he could not travel by himself. They placed the man on the bus, and they, the family called back to the prison, and he said he's already on, in route. In route. They ran to Union Station to meet their, return, their, their loved one. When he got to Union Station, he never got off the bus. They called the police and the FBI, and they checked everywhere the bus stopped. They never saw the video of this guy getting on or off the bus. This was in January 25th. And every other month, we talked about this case on our show, Crossroads on BFW. And would you believe the FBI couldn't find him for eight months? They just found him three weeks ago. And guess how they found him? His mother got on the metro bus, went to her seat, and she looked over and saw her son, who was locked up for 25 years, balled up in the corner on the seat. She asked him where he'd been. He'd been staying at the shelter. He couldn't remember the address or the phone number to his mother. So when I hear cases about like this, like LeVan Screen, who did 50 years, came out in January and he died in June. No medication, no referral to a medical authority, and this guy died in six months after doing 50 years in prison. So when we hear cases like this, we have to bring everything together and say, hey, it's not right to treat our people like this. Now we got another celebrity. Oh, we got a young lady from Black Lives Matter. Uh, April Gardens. We call them and they support. We got folks calling them from all over the country. We got two calls from Boston. They wanted to know if they send their residents down to the rally when I sign their papers. I ain't signing nothing. I last time I signed something, I got 10 years. So I ain't signing nothing. You know what I mean? So we'll bring on April Goggins from Black Lives Matter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say a lot, but um, first, thank you for having me this morning. Uh, secondly, I'm here to talk to those of us who are not justice involved, because we should be out here in droves, right? We should be following folks who are telling us what they need, right? I don't know about everybody else. But for me, all black lives matter. So no matter how the system impacts us, we're black first. And the ways in which the prison system continues to tear down black folks is all a plan. Like, I think we need to go back to remembering that this is all a plan. If you go to prison, people have to go into a prison. They got to fill it. They got to they gotta fill it. How many people know that D.C. is still 98% of the folks that are in jail are, are black folks? And then you see that DYRS, people who are stopped and frisked, all of the people who are touched by the quote-unquote justice, or called the injustice system, are all black and almost 100% native Washingtonians. I know Rose said, we're not out here to protest the mayor, but I will say this. Systems and systems... <laughs> okay, look, this is, I'm going to speak on behalf of myself. And I will say, I don't know where Councilmember uh, Barbara White went, but that's who I called personally when I say, look, they told me it's McKee. Now, I got about an hour before we're out there protesting. He'll call, he'll say, you know, hey, look, I call them, they say they get in looking online. Now it's not back on. And those are the things that folks on the outside, we have a duty to do. We have a duty to remember that, I, yeah, I don't use returning citizens because as black folks, everything that we do every day is to ensure that we are not citizens. So if you go inside, and sorry y'all, I promise my kids I'll be wet. <laughs> so if you're inside, everything is taken from you, right? And, I, and I, again, I'm saying this to folks in DC who are on the outside of the belly of the beast, which my uncle Amelie um, reminded me of. When you come back out, anytime, anytime you live in a system that will criminalize you and your children because of something they believe that you did, that will criminalize your family, your mother, your great-grandmother, by not allowing you to have a place to live, is a system that needs to be shut down. It needs to be shut down. You just stop doing the thing that doesn't work. 
And in a system where people come home, and it's not home if you're living on the street, where you can't find a job because all of the things, when I first got here, they talk about ban the box. You can ban the box all that you want, but you walk in somewhere, you're black. You've been justice involved, AKA somebody decided that they were gonna touch your life in that way. You're not a citizen. Not that I'm fighting for us to be citizens, but I think we need to remember that we remain outside of the system that continues to lock folks up. And we remain outside of the system that says they're trying to help folks who've been locked up. And so for as we go into 2023, I want to see more people out here. These are the things that we need to fill the streets for. This should not be something that's kept under the rug, only talked about when people bring people here for it. We have to talk about this every day. If we're going to talk about housing, we have to talk about those who can't get housing the most. If we're going to talk about jobs, I'm going to say it, Amazon hiring a lot of people. But it's real prison-like, that we don't want scraps for folks, that the jobs that folks get are things that return people's dignity that allow people to be human. And I say that to remember, and I'll just keep with this, that no one is disposable. We don't throw our folks away. Everybody is redeemable. And if you don't remember that, then every, every time you come to these things, and I heard a story about someone that I'm trying to do and talking to y'all about this, but no one is disposable. If I, if I can't say anything else, no one is disposable. You are not anything that you've done. You are not, none of us are, until we live in a place where that is the way, the reality in which we treat each other, the reality in which our government operates, right? That they can actually implement the things they say that they're gonna do for us. They gotta do it. Thank y'all. Did, did you hear that powerful presentation? And the spirit up. If we catch a charge, or if we're locked up, then it's transition to our children, our family, take on the burden of what have occurred to us. And this is a system that is constantly punishing us, constantly punishing our children, constantly punishing our families. This is a system that must come to an end to us to be able to be human beings and to live as human beings should live. We're bringing on some new spirits, some new organizations, younger brothers that are doing their part. We have black voices for change that's holding our sign for us. We have going to bring on Juju and Moses, two brothers that are basically making a major impact in our community. Good evening. Uh, I'm Juju with Julian Johnson, and I represent one flag. Uh, I just want to speak on, I'm a returning citizen as well. This is, this is phenomenal out here. I just want to speak on uh, being a returning citizen and being a single father, you know. I think we need uh, some more programs, and honestly, for single fathers that's turning citizens, you know. Uh, me coming home, you know, it was virtually impossible to get housing, you know, at that time, me being a single dad, you know. Most of the housing was available mainly for mental health and things like that. But you do have brothers out here that's raising families by themselves, you know. And even in going into me doing the work now, feeding people in transitional houses, there aren't any transitional houses for single falls, not one in the city. So, you know, I think that's something that needs to be touched on. Everyone's doing a phenomenal job as far as the community uh, leaders and things like that. And I think we just need to unite and motivate each other and commend each other on, on the job that we're doing. You know, we don't need to be no division. You know, we're we all together. That's why we're called one flag. Thank you, Brother Ty. You know, it's amazing. 40 years ago, I was down the street at the courthouse. I've been in every courthouse they had down there. And I used to go in there mad and talking trash. And the judge said, what kind of work do you do? I said, look, listen a little there. said, where do you live? Oh, here and there. He said, take him out. I said, wait a minute, Your Honor, when I'm coming home. 
sooner or later. These judges talk slick in D.C. Now we'd like to bring on a guy named Eon Williams, one of the new breeds, the younger breeds that's coming along. They did a film called Wharton Prison of Terror. Eon and his partner, Kareem Morad, and the film is getting all kinds of reviews all over the country. So if you haven't, look at the film called Wharton Prison of Terror. Eon, Kareem, and a few other guys did this film. I'm telling you, the film really covers, captures what it's like to be in Lawton. Eon Williams. Thank you, Rose. So many people already spoke about all the problems that we uh, encounter as people coming back home from prison, so I'm not going to try to compete with them with no eloquent speech. My speech is more so a thank you and uh, how a lot of these things that everybody said that we need uh, can help and does help people. For an example... <clears throat> I got a life sentence at 16, so I went away to prison and I came back home in 17 years. In the 17 years, I had to file all types of things to get out of jail and do this and do that, and I got out of jail. And when I got out of jail, a lot of these programs that's in effect right now, because we're speaking about how much stuff we don't have, we didn't have nothing when I came home. So when I first came home, I had to rely on my family, I had to rely on other things, and I tried to put a lot of things into practice that I had learned while I was incarcerated, such as, you know, reading about doing things pertaining to books. I wrote a lot of books when I was in prison. Uh, like he said, we did the prison film, the documentary, Law in Prison of Terror, but I also have a book called Lord Letters. Not to uh, really push that, my thing is that I push writing, and I tried to survive off of writing when I first came home. And I tried to survive off of writing when I first came home. And, uh, you know, it was, to me, no disrespect to any type of low-paying jobs, but to push my uh, craft and to believe in that and try to live off of that, it was the same as, uh, let's say, getting a job at Jiffy Lube. It was like an entry-level job and it didn't uh, present a lot of money. But the three things that did change life for me was education, employment, and housing. And when I didn't have those things, sad to say, uh, I resorted back to street hustling. And street hustling got me back in trouble. And I ended up spending 10 years on parole because I couldn't get it right. If I would have just had housing, some education, and me get opportunity, I would have never resorted to street hustling. But I'm not the type of guy that's going to say, oh, before I be out here doing this and doing that, I go take three hots and a cop. Three hots and a cop, but he's not going to get it from me. So I just encourage and implore everybody out here to listen to these uh, really moving and sentimental and emotional speeches to please uh, just do something, to do one thing. For an example, the one thing that I do, and I couldn't do at first when I first came home, I left hundreds, if not thousands, of partners and comrades and buddies and local native Washingtonians in prison. And many of them called home for me to send a picture, money order, or help them to do this or do that. When I couldn't do it, I created this thing called DC Blacks. I can check DC Blacks out on Instagram anyway. But nevertheless, I've sent over $30,000 in books, money orders, and pictures and opportunities to some of our brothers that said that was the only thing that I could do. But I see a lot of people out here, young and old, they can do much more. And I think that if we all do one thing like that, we'll help the whole situation. I appreciate y'all. Coming to the close uh, in a few minutes, but uh, the way things are going, we're going to have to wrap it up. It's too cold, we expected more people. But let me just say this, this is not the end. This is only the beginning. We'll be meeting with the man and her people to work out some issues that we that will discuss here today. We're going to keep our foot to the metal and keep the fire hot to make sure that the men and women who did these big bits or lower bits, that we get proper uh, support, uh, support when they come out. They're talking about re-entry. It is re-entry. They're re-entering back into the prison. It's a different interpretation of re-entry. Re-entry is for people coming out of prison. But now re-entry for us means going back to the jail. And as we said at the top of the show, the program, there's a new word that's just coming down. There's homicide, there's suicide, and there's genocide. Now there's prison side. Men and women are going back to prison to commit suicide because they can't make it out here in the street. So we're saying this event we're having today need to be spearheaded all over the country. We don't have to be a part of it. You met a lot of young speakers who are energetic, who are got good ideas, they can make things happen. So we need to get behind them people and support it. And that was Roach Brown. Before him, Eon Williams, co-producer of the documentary Lorton Prison of Terror, released last year. Before him, community organizer Julian Johnson and April Goggins, 
core organizer for Black Lives Matter DC. They were all speaking at the emergency rally for returning citizens organized by the formerly incarcerated, including WPFW Pacifica radio host Roach Brown, who produces the show Crossroads and heads the organization Inner Voices. It was held December 19, 2022, in front of the Wilson Building, D.C.'s Executive and Legislative Government Office Building. And that will do it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. We're on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Averam. Our website and archive of all of our shows is onthegroundshow.org. In addition, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and I also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Averam, I-V like Victor, E-R-E-M. Special thank you to all of our supporters on patreon.com at On The Ground Show. Our theme music for the show is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace and Happy New Year. On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show. If you have not already subscribed at Patreon, you can do so for as little as $3 a month or all at once at $33 for the whole year. And I know that the show is worth more than that to you. If you like the show, if you love the show, if you regularly check it out, if you rely on it, if, you know, it's a part of your soundtrack in any kind of way, please support. Go to patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. And I would very much appreciate your support. And it would mean so much to us at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash on the ground show. Or you can go to the show website and you click on the donate now button or the support donate button and you can see all ways to give.